from CJBT Productions, the team that brings you the Music Halls of Fame podcast, comes the Music History Today daily podcast, where we bring you a quick daily briefing of the musical events, births, and passings that happened on that particular day. So, if you love music and history, then please like, subscribe, and share the Music History Today daily podcast out every day on Spotify, Amazon Podcasts, Google, Apple, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcast from. The following is a CJBT Productions podcast. This is the Music Halls of Fame podcast, episode number 24. This week, we honor the year 2006, along with a member of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame class of 2006. We look at the case for putting Rick James into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and our Spotlight Hall of Fame is the ARIA Hall of Fame in Melbourne, Australia. This podcast celebrates those who have been inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. We'll also look at the case for certain artists to be inducted into the hall who aren't there yet. Plus, every week we'll discuss a different musical hall of fame, walk of fame, or museum, and celebrate someone who's been inducted into them. Let's start with our main focus of the podcast, which is the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. The Hall Foundation was established on April 20th, 1983. Former Atlantic Records chairman Ahmet Erdogan was the head of the foundation at that time. Three years later, a committee chose Cleveland, Ohio to be the site of the physical location of the museum over Detroit, Michigan, New York City, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, Memphis, Tennessee, and Cincinnati, Ohio. I say physical location because members have actually been inducted into the hall since 1986 before the building was opened. Cleveland was chosen because of what DJ Alan Freed did to promote rock and roll, including mainstreaming the phrase rock and roll, which was originally black slang for sex, and holding the first rock and roll concert. Ground was broken for the building on June 7, 1993. It opened on September 1, 1995 at 1100 Rock and Roll Boulevard on the shore of Lake Erie. The hall gets over 400,000 visitors a year on average, The normal operations for the hall are 10 a.m. to 5 p.m., except for Thursdays when they're open until 9 p.m. They're normally open later in the summer months. General admission at the moment is $30. Children 6 through 12 are $20. College students, first responders, military members, and Northeast Ohio residents are $25. And kids 5 and under, Hall of Fame members, and Cleveland residents are free. ID is required to get the discounts. Rockhall.com is their website. That's R-O-C-K-H-A-L-L dot C-O-M. And as with all places these days due to COVID restrictions, please check with their website for updated information and hours. Now, with all that being said, let's look at this week's honoree and year.
The year was 2006. The Iraq War was in full swing. Former dictator of the country, Saddam Hussein, was hung by his own people. North Korea did its first nuclear test. Serbia became its own country after a split with Montenegro. Unbeknownst to most people, the events that would lead to the 2008 Great Recession actually began in 2006 as the housing bubble burst, foreclosures were up 42%, and AIG, the largest insurer in America, ended up in trouble with federal authorities over their business practices. They would get a government bailout a few years later. Famous people who passed away in 2006 included conservationist Steve Irwin, World War II hero Corporal Desmond Doss, civil rights activist Coretta Scott King, President Gerald Ford, economist Milton Friedman, Chilean dictator Augusto Pinochet, Iraqi dictator the aforementioned Saddam Hussein, businessman Lamar Hunt, boxer Floyd Patterson, baseball players Buck O'Neill, Kirby Puckett, Photographer Gordon Parks, U.S. Defense Secretary Casper Weinberger, United Nations Ambassador Gene Kirkpatrick, TV producer Aaron Spelling, cartoon producer Joe Barbera of Hanna-Barbera, journalist Jane Jacobs, Louis Ruckhauser, and Ed Bradley, Texas Governor Ann Richards, comedian Red Buttons, designer Oleg Cassini, sportscaster Kurt Gowdy, golfer Byron Nelson, Actors Don Knotts, Shelley Winters, Chris Penn, Jane Wyatt, Jack Warden, Peter Boyle, Glenn Ford, Jack Palance, Al Lewis, Dennis Weaver, Darren McGavin, Mako Awamatsu, June Allison, film director Robert Altman, Boston Celtics coach Red Auerbach, and actress and activist Dana Reeve, Writers Octavia Butler, Mickey Spillane, and Peter Benchley. Dancers Catherine Dunham and Fayard Nicholas. And Notorious Enron CEO Kenneth Lay. The Nobel Peace Prize was shared between Mohammed Yunus and Grameen Bank from Bangladesh for advancing economic and social opportunities for the poor through microcredit work. The World Wide Web content creators as a group were named Time Magazine's Person of the Year. George Clooney was named People Magazine's Sexiest Man Alive for the second time, and Scarlett Johansson was named Esquire Magazine's Sexiest Woman Alive. The most popular books of 2006 included Elizabeth Gilbert's Eat, Pray, Love, the books in the Twilight series, the Girl with the Dragon Tattoo series, the Percy Jackson and the Olympians series, Sarah Gruen's Water for Elephants, Cormac McCarthy's The Road, John Boyne's The Boy in the Striped Pajamas, Gillian Flynn's Sharp Objects, Nicholas Sparks' Dear John, Max Brooks's World War Z, Rhonda Burns' The Secret, along with books by James Patterson and Stephen King. In technology, Facebook went from being a college-specific website to being able to be used by everybody. Twitter was also started in 2006, making its promotional debut at the South by Southwest Festival. In October, Google bought a little company at the time called YouTube. The price tag was $1.65 billion U.S. dollars. Computer widgets became a thing, and Pluto was told that it wasn't actually a planet. Thank you, Neil deGrasse Tyson. 
In video games, Gears of War, Prey, and Saints Row were the big new franchise games. Sony put out the PlayStation 3, while Nintendo put out the Wii. Both consoles did extremely well. In movies, Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Man's Chest was the biggest movie of the year. The year also saw Daniel Craig take over the James Bond role in Casino Royale. The first Da Vinci Code and Cars movies came out that year, as well as a really bad Superman movie called Superman Returns. As far as the Academy Awards for movies for that year went, The Departed was actually the big winner, winning Best Picture and Martin Scorsese for Best Director. Forrest Whitaker won Best Actor for The Last King of Scotland. Helen Mirren won Best Actress for The Queen. Alan Arkin beat out heavily favored Eddie Murphy for Best Supporting Actor for Little Miss Sunshine. Jennifer Hudson won Best Supporting Actress for Dreamgirls. The movie Babel won Best Film Score. And Best Song went to Melissa Etheridge's song I Need to Wake Up from Al Gore's climate change movie An Inconvenient Truth. In television, Monday Night Football left ABC TV and moved to cable TV, specifically ESPN. Also ending that year was Soul Train, Charmed, Will and Grace, That 70s Show, The West Wing, and Malcolm in the Middle. By the way, did you know that the poor dad on that show ended up dealing meth with some kid named Jesse in New Mexico? Sad. I hear he was actually pretty good at it, too. I think his name was Walter something or other. Also... Charlie Gibson on Good Morning America left in 2006, as did Katie Couric on The Today Show. Mike Wallace on 60 Minutes also left. Debuting that year was Hannah Montana with some Miley Cyrus kid or something. I wonder what ever happened to her. Also debuting were America's Got Talent, NBC's Sunday Night Football, 30 Rock, and The Rachel Ray Show. The top-rated shows were all of the different nights for American Idol and also Dancing with the Stars. That's at least five nights right there. Other top shows were CSI, CSI Miami, Grey's Anatomy, House, and Desperate Housewives. And at the Emmy Awards, The Office won for Best Comedy and 24 won for Best Drama. In sports... The Winter Olympics were held in Turin, Italy. Germany won the most medals with 29 total medals and 11 gold medals. The Pittsburgh Steelers won the Super Bowl, which was held for the season in 2007 in Miami, Florida. Prince played the halftime show, which is still considered by many to be the greatest halftime show of all time, complete with singing Purple Rain as it actually rained. Texas won the NCAA College Football Championship. The St. Louis Cardinals won Baseball's World Series. Japan won the first World Baseball Championship. In basketball, Kobe Bryant scored 81 points in a game, becoming the second player to post a score over 80 points. Will Chamberlain's 100 points in one game is still the record holder. The Miami Heat won the NBA championship. The Detroit Shock, now called the Detroit Wings, won the WNBA championship. Florida won the NCAA Men's Basketball Championship, and Maryland won the NCAA Women's Basketball Championship. Colorado won the National Lacrosse League Championship, and Philadelphia won the Major League Lacrosse Championship. Floyd Landis won the Tour de France, then failed a drug test and had to vacate the title. 
In horse racing, Barbaro won the Kentucky Derby but was injured during the Preakness Stakes and passed away from his injuries in 2007. Bernardini won the Preakness, by the way, while Gazeel won the Belmont Stakes. The Carolina Hurricanes won Hockey's Stanley Cup. Mixed martial arts became more mainstream as the UFC 66 fight between Chuck Liddell and Tito Ortiz was the first fight to sell over 1 million pay-per-views. In soccer, Italy won the World Cup, Liverpool won the FA Cup, and FC Barcelona won the Champions League. In National League competitions, Chelsea won in England, Lyon won in France, Bayern Munich won in Germany, and FC Barcelona won in Spain. In Italy, there was a huge match-fixing scandal concerning the 2003-2005 to seasons that actually came to light in 2006 and eventually ended up engulfing the clubs Juventus, Milan, Florentina, Lazio, and Regina, along with a bunch of referees. In the end... Juventus were stripped of the league championship, and the championship instead went to Inter Milan. In golf, Phil Mickelson won the Masters Golf Tournament. Greg Ogilvie won the U.S. Open, while Tiger Woods won the British Open, the PGA Championship, and was the leading money winner with almost $10 million in tour earnings. Europe won the Ryder Cup. For ladies... Carrie Webb won the Kraft Nabisco Championship. Sayri Pak won the LPGA Championship. Annika Sorenstam won the U.S. Women's Open. And Sherry Steinhauer won the Women's British Open. Lorena Ochoa, even though she didn't win a major that year, was still the leading money winner with $2.5 million in earnings. In tennis, Roger Federer won Wimbledon and the Australian and U.S. Open, while Rafael Nadal won the French Open. On the women's side, Maria Sharapova won the U.S. Open, Justine Enin-Ardan won the French Open, and Amelia Moresmo won both Wimbledon and the Australian Open. In motorsports, Fernando Alonso won the Formula One Championship, Sam Hornish Jr. won the IndyCar Championship, Sebastian Bourdais won the Champ Car Championship, and Jimmy Johnson won the first of his seven NASCAR championships. In music, the police reunited for the first time since their breakup in the mid-1980s. Bands that formed in 2006 included the Bingo Players, Bon Iver, Haim, Lady Antebellum, now known as Lady A, LMFAO, and Cage the Elephant. Bands who called it quits that year included Black Sabbath, The Fuji, and Fear Factory. The high school musical soundtrack was the biggest album of the year. Rounding out the top 10 albums were Justin Timberlake, Nelly Furtado, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Carrie Underwood, Pink, Beyonce, The Beatles with their Cirque du Soleil love soundtrack, Daughtry, and Taylor Swift. Other albums that were critical darlings that year included those by Amy Winehouse, Muse, My Chemical Romance, and Arctic Monkeys. Daniel Powder's song, Bad Day, which was American Idol's loser send-off song, was the biggest-selling single in America. Other big singles were Sean Paul's Temperature, Nelly Furtado and Timbaland's Promiscuous, James Blunt's You're Beautiful, Shakira and Wyclef Jean's Hips Don't Lie, Natasha Bedingfield's Unwritten, Narles Barkley's 
Crazy, Chameleonaire and Crazy Bones Ridin', Justin Timberlake and Timberland's Sexy Back, and Beyonce and Slim Thug's Check On It. Famous musical artists who passed away that year included James Brown on Christmas Day, no less, Billy Preston, Lou Rawls, Gene Pitney, Buck Owens, Bismillah Khan, Raj Kumar, rappers Jay Dilla and Proof, Gerard Levert, Wilson Pickett, Boz Burrell of King Crimson, Robert Lockwood Jr., June Pointer of the Pointer Sisters, reggae singer Desmond Decker, Clades Charles Smith of Cool in the Gang, Gene McFadden of McFadden and Whitehead, opera singer Robert McFerrin, singers Gloria Jones, Ruth Brown, Cindy Walker, Rocio Gerardo, and Rocio Durscal, two different people, mind you, Atlantic Records co-founder Ahmet Erdogan, Freddie Fender, Sandy West of The Runaways, and Sid Barrett of Pink Floyd. At the Grammy Awards for Albums of 2006, the Dixie Chicks, now known as the Chicks, won Album, Record, and Song of the Year, while Carrie Underwood won Best New Artist. At the Eurovision Singing Contest held in Athens, Greece, Lordy from Finland won for the song Hard Rock Hallelujah, and at the Tony Awards, Jersey Boys won Best Musical, and the Pajama Game won Best Revival of a Musical. At the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction ceremony, Herb Albert and Jerry Moss, who are the heads of A&M Records, were inducted into the Non-Performer Lifetime Achievement Award category. They are also the last people to be inducted into that category as the category got changed. In the Performers category, the Hall inducted Black Sabbath, The Sex Pistols, Leonard Skinner, Miles Davis, and this next group. Blondie was one of the bands to come out of New York's East Village punk rock new wave scene in the mid-1970s, along with the Ramones, Patti Smith, Iggy Pop, and the Talking Heads. Lead singer Debbie Harry and guitarist Chris Stein met when they were in the band The Stilettos. After a while, they left the band, became a couple, and formed the band Blondie, playing clubs like the famous CBGBs in the East Village. They originally released their debut album on one label, but it went nowhere. They then ended up releasing it in England on Chrysalis Records in 1977. Their first success didn't happen in America or England, but rather in Australia, when a music video program accidentally played their music video for the song In the Flesh. That happy accident led to the song becoming a hit. In 1978, they released their second album, Plastic Letters, which gave them a following in the underground music scene. In 1979, the group decided that they wanted to expand their music. The result was their breakthrough third album, Parallel Lines. The song Heart of Glass from Parallel Lines was originally written as a demo by Debbie Harry and Chris Stein back in 1975. It always had a funky beat, and since the band was more of a rock new wave band, the song was always considered by them to be a disco song. It was originally an American disco song. However, in an interview, Debbie even stated that it was given more of a European electro style of disco because of her love for Euro dance music, specifically disco producer extraordinaire Mr. Giorgio Moroder. 
They were also influenced by the German electro pioneers, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductees now, Kraftwerk. The song was recorded at the famous Record Plant Recording Studio in New York City in June of 1978 and became the third single released off of their album Parallel Lines in January of 1979. The song was number one in eight different countries, including America, and on Billboard's dance chart, the song hit number seven. Ironically, the places where the song wasn't a big hit were the big discos like Studio 54. Also, the group caught a lot of heat for the song because some people thought that they had sold out for a more popular sound after staking a claim as the head of New York's new wave scene at that point. What people didn't realize was that throughout their career, Blondie always mixed in different types of music. They went Caribbean style for the song The Tide is High and disco with rap thrown in for the song Rapture. During their gigs, they would throw in disco and R&B songs into their sets, so putting out a disco song was not actually completely out of character for the band. It's just that people get stuck in their genres every now and then, and you know how it goes. Heart of Glass actually had two effects. The first was that it brought the band into the mainstream, which led to more mainstream hits like the aforementioned Rapture, The Tide is High, and Call Me. The second effect was that once they made it big doing a dance song, other rock groups started doing dance songs, which led to the dance rock movement of the very early 1980s. See The Rolling Stones Miss You as an example, for instance. Now... Let's go back and talk about the importance of their song Rapture for a minute. In 1980, Blondie were recording their new album. They decided that they would stretch their musical boundaries on this one after a few years of being the breakout group of CBGBs. They experimented on this new album with jazz, blues, reggae, funk, disco, and rap. The album that came out of it was Auto American, which was recorded over two months in Los Angeles, California. There were only two songs that were ever released from it. The first was a cover of the 1967 reggae song, The Tide is High. That song hit number one on the pop chart on January 31, 1981. The second song released was a mixture of funk and disco and had lead singer Debbie Harry doing a rap about the man from Mars. The rap also name-checked Fab Five Freddy, who was a hip-hop rapper, pioneer, and who was actually the very first host of the TV hip-hop show Yo! MTV Raps when it went into seasonal form, as opposed to its pilot episode, which actually had Run DMC as their host. Also, the song name-checked DJ Grandmaster Flash. The music video for Rapture is almost as historic as the actual song itself. The dancer in the white suit was dancer and choreographer William Barnes. Graffiti artist Lee Quinones made a cameo appearance. Along with Fab Five Freddy, Grandmaster Flash was actually supposed to be the DJ in the video, but he couldn't make the video shoot that day. He was replaced by legendary artist Jean-Michel Basquiat. The video became the first rap video to ever be played on MTV. The song was released on January 12, 1981. On March 28, 1981, the song became the first song with a rap in it to hit number one on the Billboard pop charts. 
The band recorded one more album before breaking up in 1982 due to the usual creative tensions, bank financial problems, and, of course, band member drug use. Chris also developed a life-threatening disease called pemphingus. Debbie helped to take care of him until he got better. However, those financial problems began to tear apart their relationship. They sold their five-story mansion in order to pay off the band's bills, and then the couple broke up. Debbie and Chris did remain friends, though, with Chris helping out on Debbie's various music projects. Blondie got back together in the middle of 1997 and recorded five more albums, and they still go out on tour to this very day. In fact, they have a tour set up for this year. During their career, Blondie had 11 studio albums. Of those, two went to the top 10 in America. They also had 38 singles, and out of those, eight went top 40 with four of those hitting number one, Call Me, Heart of Glass, Rapture, and The Tide is High. Ironically, even though they were a punk-slash-new wave band, they had better success on the dance charts, actually, with 12 songs hitting the top 40. They were nominated for two Grammy Awards, one for Best Rock Performance by a Duo or Group with vocals for Call Me, and also for Video of the Year for Eat to the Beat. They were also nominated for two Juno Awards, winning one in 1980 for Heart of Glass. Heart of Glass was also inducted into the Grammy Hall of Fame in 2016, while the group was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2006. Presented for induction by Miss Shirley Manson of the band Garbage. Blondie, inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, class of 2006. It is time to look at the case for putting another artist into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. First, though, let's go over how they even get into the hall to begin with. The criteria for being inducted into the hall was originally that, quote, artists have to have had released their first record 25 years earlier and have created music whose originality, impact, and influence has changed the course of rock and roll, end quote. That interpretation has been updated in recent decades to include music that rock and roll influence, like reggae, country, and hip-hop, and also youth culture that music has influenced, and vice versa. That is why hip-hop artists have been inducted. The different categories that people can be inducted for are for musical excellence, which is for artists, musicians, songwriters, and producers who have had a dramatic impact on music. There's also an early influencers category, which is for artists whose music influenced rock music and youth culture like jazz or blues. There's also the Amit Erdogan Award, which is named for famed record executive Amit Erdogan and goes to a non-performer who has had an impact, like record executives and managers and such. There's also a category that inducted songs that have influenced music, like the Trogs' Wild Thing, for instance. Of course, the most popular and probably best-known category is the performers category, which has had everyone in it from Elvis Presley to Tina Turner to U2 and the police, etc., etc. The different nominating committees decide who will make the official ballots for that particular year, and then the ballots are sent to a thousand musicologists, executives, 
performers, and other experts, the fans actually also get a chance to vote for this, with that vote usually being held on the Hall's website, which is rockhall.com. Then, from that, the final inductees are chosen. Now, with all that being said, let us look at making the case for putting this week's artist into the next class of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Last week, we finished our series on the nominees under consideration for this year's upcoming class of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. As a reminder, you can still go to rockhall.com, that's R-O-C-K-H-A-L-L dot C-O-M, and vote once daily for up to five nominees. The nominees are Pat Benatar, Dolly Parton, Duran Duran, Eurythmics, Carly Simon, Judas Priest, Lionel Richie, Eminem, Rage Against the Machine, Devo, Dionne Warwick, The New York Dolls, Beck, Kate Bush, A Tribe Called Quest, MC5, and Fela Kuti. You have until April 29th to put in your vote, and like I said, you can do it once daily for up to five different artists. Now that we've finished going through that whole entire list of nominees, it is time to get back to looking at the case for putting other artists into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame class of 2023. And we're going to start this week with the king of punk funk himself, Mr. Rick James. The younger generation mainly knows Rick from probably two different things. The first is probably the I'm Rick James bitch sketch from the Dave Chappelle's show, or at the very least from the memes that have popped up from it on the internet. The second is from MC Hammer's smash hit song, Can't Touch This, which Hammer took slash stole and then had to pay for Rick's hit song, Super Freak. Still others may have seen various sketches and stories about Rick's wild behavior, drug addiction, and prison sentence for kidnapping and torturing two different women while high on crack. However, despite all of that, Rick's impact on soul, pop, and funk music cannot be overlooked. He was a songwriter who helped the careers of artists Tina Marie, The Temptations, The Mary Jane Girls, and Smokey Robinson. He even got Eddie Murphy a top 10 hit by writing and producing Eddie's song, Party All the Time. He also had sexy ballads with his ex-girlfriend, Tina Marie, like Fire and Desire. For his own career, Rick released 13 albums. Of those, all but two went top 20 on the Billboard R&B charts, and five of them went top 20 on the Billboard's Hot 100 charts. While only a few of his singles were popular on the Billboard Hot 100's chart, on the R&B chart it was a completely different story. He had 23 top 40 songs. Of those, 13 were in the top 10 and four went to number one. Along with Super Freak, he had radio classics such as You and I, Give It To Me Baby, Mary Jane, Cold-Blooded, which was actually about his love for his ex-girlfriend, actress Linda Blair, who was the star of Exorcist. little trivia for you. Here's another fun fact for you. He actually started his musical career as a member of the 60s band The Minor Birds with Neil Young in Canada. Yeah, that Neil Young figure that one out. As far as his influence went, there was one guy who was extremely influenced by Rick. That was a guy you probably have heard of by the name of Prince. Uh, 
In fact, Rick had Prince open up for him on tour back in Prince's early days, and Rick ended up accusing Prince of copying his act. Truth be told, though, Prince actually did, with the long coats, wild hair, and the mixture of rock and funk. In fact, Rick's nickname was the King of Punk Funk. If you combined Sly Stone, Billy Idol, and George Clinton, you would get Rick James. If you want to get your feet wet with him, then go with his greatest hits album called Reflections. And if you want a deep dive, then go with his chart-topping album Street Songs and Come Get It. As far as whether he should be inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, well, artists with lesser influence are in. However, that whole prison thing and the reasons for it will probably keep him out regardless of his influence and musical success. Still, Rick James deserves to eventually be inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. The Arts Centre of Melbourne is a performing arts complex in the Melbourne Arts Precinct in Southbank, which is a suburb of Melbourne in Victoria, Australia. The centre was constructed starting in 1973 and completed in 1984 when it fully opened. The centre has a bunch of theatres and galleries and is noted for having not only the usual highbrow concerts and ballets from classical and jazz artists, but also for having roller skating, a circus, and a movie theatre. In the complex lies an exhibit for the ARIA Hall of Fame. ARIA, or Australian Recording Industry Association, is the Australian lobbying group for their music industry. They put on the ARIA Music Awards, which is their version of the Grammy Awards. They also induct people into their Music Hall of Fame, simply called the ARIA Hall of Fame, because, you know, sometimes a simple name is a good name. The induction started in 1988 and have been going on ever since, except for 2000 when no one was actually inducted. The number of annual inductees varies from year to year. For the last few years, only one act per year has been inducted. Go to artscentermelbourne.com.au for more information on when the organization does their yearly exhibit and what times of operations they actually are. Spelling out the website, it is A-R-T-S-C-E-N-T-R-E-M-E-L-B-O-U-R-N-E dot C-O-M dot A-U. As always, in the age of COVID, check to see what the health regulations are, especially since Australia took COVID lockdowns extremely seriously and have just recently opened back up again. Now, let's go back to the ARIA class of 2001. That year, there were actually two groups that were inducted. The first were known as the Saints. The second was this next group. During the early 1980s, NXS was actually considered a college band, which was what alternative music was called back then. The group was founded by the Ferris Brothers, keyboardist Andrew Ferris, drummer John Ferris, and guitarist Tim Ferris. Bassist Gary Gary Beers, guitarist and saxophonist Kirk Pengilly, rounded out the band, all topped off by one of the most underrated singers of all time, Michael Hutchins. 
that man didn't simply sing the words. He massaged the hell out of every single syllable. Plus, he was the absolute perfect front man. Their first two albums were quirky and different, but popular in Australia and actually gave them the alternative music tag. By the time their third album, Shabu Shabba, came around, they had found their signature sound of power pop with strange chords thrown in sometimes, just for good measure. That album, which was their first to get a worldwide release, had the hits Don't Change and One Thing. They followed that up with a tour of the United States, including a now-legendary performance at the Us Festival. The album The Swing was released next, with hits I Send a Message, Original Sin, Dancing on the Jetty, and Melting in the Sun. Listen Like Thieves came after that. That album had the hits What You Need, Listen Like Thieves, Shine Like It Does, Good and Bad Times, and This Time. Hutchins, at that point, also recorded a couple of songs with Jimmy Barnes of Cold Chisel that appeared on the Lost Boys movie soundtrack. All of this was a warm-up for what became the album that turned them into megastars, Kick. That album became their biggest selling album, selling over 20 million claimed sales copies worldwide and had the mega hits Need You Tonight and Mediate, Devil Inside, New Sensation, and Never Tear Us Apart. The album 10, represented by the Roman numeral X to signify 10 years since their debut album, came out in 1990. That album did pretty well with the hits Suicide Blonde and Disappear. They released their live collection, Live Baby Live, after their tour. Welcome to Whenever You Are in 1992 marked a change in sound for the band as alternative and grunge took over the musical landscape. And while the band had the hits Heaven Sent, Baby Don't Cry, and Not Enough Time, the album didn't do as well as the others due to the changing landscape of the musical realm at that point. 1997's Elegantly Wasted didn't do well in the United States, even though the title track did marginally well. The album also ended up being their last album, unfortunately, with Michael Hutchins. Michael had a bit of a tabloid life due to the women who he dated, including singer Kylie Minogue and model Helena Christensen. It was during his relationship with Christensen that Hutchins got into a fight with a taxi driver in Copenhagen. During the fight, Michael's head hit the ground, leaving him with a fractured skull and permanent brain damage unbeknownst to a lot of people. The brain damage led to bouts of depression and mood swings. Add to that, he had an affair with Paula Yates, who was married at the time to singer and activist Bob Geldof. Yates gave birth to Michael's child, Tiger Lily. However, due to the very bitter child custody procedure during Bob and Paula's divorce, Michael couldn't see his own daughter, who was with Paula in England while Michael was in Australia. In one night, after a phone call argument between himself and Bob Geldof, and apparently distraught over the fact that he couldn't persuade Bob to allow his daughter to see him, Michael committed suicide on November 22nd, 1997. Michael Hutchins was 37 years old. After losing their lead singer, the band tried a few different lead singers, including finding one on their reality TV show, before finally retiring the band. 
As far as in, in Excess's influence goes, they definitely helped out a number of Australian bands, including the Models. In fact, they are actually the third biggest-selling Australian act in America, right behind ACDC and the Bee Gees, with 15 million certified albums sold in America alone, with the album Kick being their biggest seller. They were nominated for three Grammy Awards, winning none of them, and 11 MTV Video Music Awards, winning six of those. They were also nominated for 17 ARIA Awards, winning six. The band In Excess, inducted into the ARIA Music Hall of Fame in 2001. And that is it for the Music Halls of Fame podcast, episode 24. Thanks for listening. Audio engineering and editing, video editing, writing, narration, basically everything having to do with this podcast is done by yours truly. You can find us on our website at cjbtproductions.com. Our podcast is on all of your favorite podcast providers, such as Apple Music, Google Podcasts, CastBox, Spotify, etc., all under Music History Today. If you would like to support this podcast, our Patreon can be found at patreon.com backslash Music History Today. We are also on Twitter at Music History Day. And you can now find us on YouTube. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and hit that notification bell anytime you want to know exactly what videos are dropped and when. All of those links can be found in the show notes below. Thank you very, very much for listening. <laughs>